0: windows and doors of Wisconsin's energy efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs lowering energy bills get zero percent interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st visit palawi.com. certain restrictions apply
1: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the Jeff Wagner show come join the conversation on the old national bank talk and text
2: line old
1: national bank Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff
2: Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Well, we do, in fact, live in interesting times. Coming up in, I don't know, it's scheduled to occur five, ten minutes from now. The Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, is going to be delivering a statement. It is presumed that this is going to be on the developments concerning the finding and the discovery of confidential documents. In the possession, or at least in residences or offices attributed to now President Biden, uh, these documents are Obama-era classified documents that Biden apparently had possession of from the days when he was the vice president. Now, this is significant because, of course, You have this ongoing investigation into Donald Trump and the fact that I think what happened is, as he was leaving the White House, they boxed up a whole bunch of documents that he had in the personal residence, shipped them down to Mar-a-Lago, and then there was this back and forth between the National Archives about what he returned. Uh, Joe Biden's been very public about it's unconscionable, you just, this cannot, stuff sort of can't happen. And now, of course, the revelation was couple days ago that the Biden attorneys closing out an office that he had on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania found surprise, follow surprise, a limited number of classified top secret documents in a folder that was in a closet. All right. They said that this was the end of it. Well, now the breaking news is. More classified documents have been found at Biden's Delaware home. Apparently, these documents were locked in a garage along with President Biden's Corvette sports car. His comment on this is, it's not like they're sitting out in the streets. Um, Okay. well, yeah, that's that's true. It's not like they're on the streets. But at the same time, he was in possession of documents that he was not supposed to have. Now, there's a number of issues that this creates for the Attorney General Merrick Garland. First of all, he has an ongoing investigation into the activities of Donald Trump, the former president. All right. Well, although the facts are somewhat different, As I was telling you yesterday, it now seems to me that a prosecution of Donald Trump for anything connected with this is completely out the window because you have the current president, the former vice president, who is in possession of documents as well. And while there might be some factual differences as to the circumstances behind how they got them, the bottom line is... If you were to proceed against Donald Trump at this point in time, I think the chances of finding any jury that would convict him beyond a reasonable doubt is completely out the window. The other interesting aspect of this story, and I will be curious to see if the attorney general discusses it, is the fact that the original batch of Biden documents was apparently found early November, a couple days before the election. It was presumably made known to the Attorney General of the United States that these documents had been found, and it never became public until a couple days ago. So I think the obvious question about this is, all right, first of all, can Joe Biden's justice department his attorney general can he fairly investigate this matter and why was there the failure to disclose these records when they found in november was there a cover-up was this being hushed up because keep in mind the election was coming up a couple days later Was there a concern that, gee, if we go public with this information, what's going to happen is it might make Joe Biden look bad and it might make Democrats look bad. So, I mean, that's an issue that I think is fair to address to the Attorney General. What did you know and when and why was the decision made if you did in fact know about the existence of these documents in the possession of Joe Biden or at least the constructive possession of Joe Biden, why didn't you disclose this in a more timely fashion? All of these incredibly relevant uh, questions. All right, we expect that the Attorney General, he's scheduled to give a statement in just a couple minutes. Let me take a very quick break. We will be back, perhaps, with Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States. So very glad to have you with us, Jeff. With all these confidential documents being found in the possession of two past administration principals, possibly the offices, homes of former presidents Obama and Bush should also be checked. Who knows what they may find? This could be a common practice. You know, that's an interesting question to me because I, and I was mentioning this yesterday. I just don't understand how all these former executives are, are walking around with all these confidential documents, and there seems to be, for example, let's just take the Biden case. Nobody seems to have known that these documents had been missing, and in the case of Biden, they'd been missing for, you know, what, four or five years. I, It's When when you I I go back to my old days in law enforcement, you know when you have evidence, for example, when a police officer seizes evidence, what the officer does is they log it in. There's a chain of custody. You keep the records. You you turn it into the you know evidence locker, and then if you need that evidence back because you're preparing for a trial or you need it for a trial exhibit or whatever, you go down, you sign out. The Merrick Garland press conference. Merrick Garland. Ah, More more details emerging. Now, you have to at the very least, one of our texters makes the point that very least Joe Biden appears to have egg on his face. I think that that would be fair. You can remember perhaps um, the famous Joe Biden interview on 60 Minutes when he was, you know, asked about this. The the question that was put to him was when you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself? Biden's response, how could anyone be that irresponsible? And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? <laughs> okay, well, that, that's, that was how Joe Biden felt on 60 Minutes. Now we have the reports that in early November, again, as we've known at least since the last couple days, um, Biden's attorneys closing out this office he had at the University of Pennsylvania find documents, some of which apparently um, were classified and were top-secret documents. They were in Biden's possession. The, uh, the, The attorney general said, all right, he was notified of this. He assigned a U.S. attorney to investigate the procedure. Then... Apparently, a couple days before Christmas, and again, the public still hasn't been informed of this. Biden's counsel finds additional documents. These were documents that were, again, locked in a garage along with Joe Biden's Corvette at his home in Delaware. And then, apparently today, they have found an additional secret document, you know, in top secret document in his home in Wilmington. And based on all this, the Attorney General has decided that a special counsel is warranted. The special counsel they have appointed is the former. He was appointed by Donald Trump to be the U.S. attorney in Maryland. And he, he's a long-time employee of the Department of Justice. He was the principal assistant deputy attorney general. seems like they, they've made a good choice to do this, and he's going to be tasked with investigating what, if any, action should be taken against Joe Biden. That's where we stand now. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, my point from the beginning on this has been I see – any chance of prosecuting Donald Trump, for example, for for these records has completely and totally gone out the window. I, I mean, now, I, I think from the perspective of the general public, even though the facts and circumstances are are different, you, you've got the former vice president who's in possession of classified documents. You've got the former president who's in possession of classified documents. And apparently they're still finding more of them in the case of, of Joe Biden. I don't think that you can bring a charge against either one of those people unless you bring a charge against both of those people. And I don't see that that's necessarily happening to me. One of the other questions and I was getting into this right before we had to cut away for the press conference was what? How are these classified documents floating around? I mean, I mean, seriously, does it? Isn't there records that are kept? Let's just talk about the Biden records for for just a moment. And I've been harsh on Trump for this, if you're a regular listener to this program. But how do you... How do you take classified top secret documents and th- there's th- there, there's no record of them? You can put them in your you know in your garage next to your Corvette and keep them there for years and apparently nobody knows about it until um, somebody stumbles upon it when when they're looking in the garage. Is there is there no system at all for keeping track as to how classified documents are are distributed and dispersed and how they're collected? Our number 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line where do we go from here we discuss in just a moment yeah biden goes on 60 minutes and says how could any talk about trump and the documents from a lago how could anyone be that irresponsible what data is in there that may compromise sources and methods well okay that would be joe that sound you're hearing right now is joe biden being hoisted on his own petard now i don't know that i think anything's going to come of Either of these investigations. But now it seems to me that, you you know, you've got the former vice president, now president in possession of documents that he shouldn't have had. You've got the former president who kept documents. I don't think he should have kept. Now it's kind of what 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 do we do? And and my guess is the answer is going to be nothing. But Joe Biden certainly has egg on his face. And to me, the larger question is, how do people get all these documents? Um, Let's talk to Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ.
1: Yeah, before I make my comment that I gave to your screamer, I I would like to raise one other issue. And, you know, the night they went into Mar-a-Lago, they they told the American public what they were looking for. And to this day, we don't know if they really found what they were looking for. They won't say. They keep saying, well, it's, you know, it's all part of our investigation. Yeah, okay, right. So anyway, to get to my original point, Jeff, when this story broke, my first thought was, okay, Either, you know, you got these documents, and you're going to be running around on TV accusing Trump of being reckless and putting national security at risk. you think the guy would have gone in his garage next to his uh, gas-burning Corvette and gotten rid of all those documents. But he didn't do it because he either forgot about the fact that he had them, or he's, he's gotten at a point in his head, along with many others in that town, where they think they can get away with whatever they want to do now. And they don't have to worry about saying things that might come back at them
2: because they got everybody
1: wrapped around their finger in the Department of Justice.
2: Well, Sam, thanks for the call. I I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I do do think that, um, again, the phrase I use is hoisted on your own petard. I mean, Joe Biden was so, so very self-righteous about this issue. And, And again, if you're a regular listener, you know, I have been very, very critical of Donald Trump in connection with the. Leaving, you know, the White House with these documents and the refusal to promptly return them and all these sort of things. And I appreciate the factual situation is a little bit different, but at the same time, you've now got the former president, the current president, former vice president in possession of documents that they were not supposed to have. All right, we're going to pick it up right there. 855-616-1620. Five, five, six, one, six, one, six, That's the, um, Old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, where, where do we go from here? And I'm trying to, to sort of look at this objectively as a practical matter, as I've been saying. I think any chance of criminally prosecuting Donald Trump at this point in time has now gone out the window with the discovery of classified documents in the possession of Joe Biden, formerly he, he's had for, for years. And I I guess to me, the larger point is how how can you just walk away with classified documents? And and a number of people are making this point. They're they're starting to find stuff. I I don't think anybody knows what Biden had because nobody knew it was missing. This is just that they stumbled upon it in early November. You know, they're cleaning out this office that he had at the University of Pennsylvania where he was like this guest lecturer being paid a, a, a ridiculous amount of money. That's another story that we'll talk about someday. But they happen, they're happen; they closing out the office. Oh, you know, look what we found. We found these documents. And it turns out that they find some additional documents in his garage next to his Corvette. Now they found at least another document. They, they don't even know what they have, and Biden can't say, "Well, there, there's nothing else out there," because I don't think he knew he had this stuff. Which, to me, that's the larger question: is how can how can people walk away with top secret documents and and nobody knows that they have them? And but for the fact that somebody stumbles onto them as they're cleaning out closets, you wouldn't know this existed. That, to me, is I think the, the big takeaway, absent again any sort of evidence that either Donald Trump or Joe Biden kept these documents with criminal intent. By that, I mean the intent to uh, some nefarious motive. Here I, w- I want to sell these off to the highest bidder or something like that, which I don't think anybody suggests happened. I don't see a criminal prosecution of either one of these people coming. I, I don't see an impeachment of of Joe Biden over this. Some people are texting me, oh, you should be impeached. No, I mean, this is, it, it's just, it's sloppiness and it's irresponsibility. And to me, the larger question is, you know, how can this be allowed to happen? And what do we need to do moving forward to make sure that people who have access to documents don't walk away with them? Now, one of our texters says, hey, you know, if I was a federal, I was a federal employee. And when I left work, if I took classified documents with me and they were discovered in my house, I would be in Leavenworth. Well, I, I think there might be something to this. Jeff, is there not a checkout process like a library card or something? I, <laughs> I, maybe, I, apparently not. I mean, I, I, that's what I just don't understand. I mean, I, sure, I get why the president or the vice president comes in to t- access the top secret documents. It makes sense to me. I don't have a problem with them taking them to their residence or working with them in their office or all. I just, it's mind blowing to me that we are so slipshod though that there's no record that they have them. Jeff, the utter gall of Biden to say anything on 60 Minutes about Trump when he already knew about his earlier findings is incredible. I I think that Biden interview was before they found the documents. I I, I don't know if if it's I don't know if it's better or worse, but I don't think Biden had a clue those documents were there. (laughs) And again, I, I don't I don't I don't know. You can make an argument about whether or not that's that's. Again, better, worse, or the same. But I don't think Biden I don't think Biden has any clue what he has. And and that's why we don't know what else there there is. I mean, what might be at his home in he's got two houses in Delaware. What might be there? What other offices does he have? Look in the look in the trunk of the Corvette for goodness sake to see if there's anything, you know, there. Um let's see. Um, Jeff, okay, Biden and Trump are both irresponsible. That doesn't bother me as much as knowing that the federal archives will hand out top-secret documents without any record of where they went and who they went to. The real problem here is not Biden or Trump, but the archives department. My local library could do a better job. Well, I I think that there's a very good point to that. Jeff, this leads to the question of who else has classified documents? That is a very, very good question as well, because there's lots of people who have had access to top-secret documents over the years. And I think it's fair to now wonder how many other people walked out of... I don't know, walked out of their their offices as cabinet secretaries or whatever, Republican and Democrat, in possession of documents that were supposed to be returned. And the scary thing is we're never, ever, ever going to know the answer to that question because I don't think that there's any track of of this. And unless somebody's cleaning out their garage or their attic because they're getting ready to move and you find this box and it's got top secret documents in it and they decide to disclose it, um, unless unless that's the situation, uh, we don't know what's out there. Jeff, as Vice President, as Vice President Biden should have never taken those documents. I think he should be impeached immediately. I, I think that's that's too much. Jeff, as for the Biden documents, how long were they sitting there, and how do we know that none have gone missing or were copied in all that time? We, that being the United States, are really looking like a bunch of clowns. Well, there there is there is a point to that. I mean. These documents that were found in November and in December and today, all are documents from the days when Biden was the vice president, which ended in, you know, in, in 2016. Effectively, at the end of 2016 is when he left office. So these these documents we know have been around for, what, at least six years just sitting Wherever they're, they're sitting, well, it's a locked closet. Well, okay, all right, that, that's good. It, it's, a, it's a locked closet. It's that—that's fine. But you know, who knows how long and how many other things might be out there? Jeff, I think the case with Trump is worse because of his intent. But at least we knew everything was in his safe at Mar-a-Lago. Who knows how many more documents there are with Biden? Who's to say the maid hasn't found it or what is floating around? Uh, I, I think, you know, that's that's fair. Jeff, there are three things that I get from all this classified document debacle. One, the absurdity of anyone taking classified documents out of the White House. Two, the hypocrisy uncovered from both sides of the political spectrum. Three, the frustration and exhaustion of the American people like me who question what in the heck is going on with all of our elected officials. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I could not agree more. With all of this, Jeff, don't they have decent librarians in the U.S. agencies that store classified documents? There's no good explanation for why issuing agencies can't keep track of what is, quote, unquote, out here. Not trying to be cute, Jeff, but I'm a librarian for a small choir. I know who has what music out, and I get it back, mostly, after a concert. Um, you know, Jeff, how many documents has Hunter Biden taken after he's gotten done riding his corve- in his dad's Corvette? Okay, I I understand, but here's here's the problem. Here is the problem. While I don't think that there's any evidence that suggests stuff like that, this is now going to be one of the the speculation games. You know, what's the role of Hunter Biden and things like this? Jeff, why would his lawyer snitch on him? No, I I don't. I think what happened is the lawyers found this as they're cleaning out the offices. My guess is they were in touch with Joe Biden right away and said, guess what we found? And Biden then said, okay, well, what do we do with these? I think we should immediately call the National Archives, then let's do it. And so, I mean, that's that's how all this happened. It's not the lawyers snitching on him, per se. I think it's the lawyers acting, advising him as to what the appropriate thing would be and, and him doing it. It's just he looks like a complete and total hypocrite for all the things he said about Donald Trump and all the things he said about Trump being irresponsible points that may in fact be valid points but it turns out he was you know just as you know just as irresponsible in connection you know with that so i guess we'll have to see how this all works out jeff i wonder if obama has some documents as well I I wonder I wonder that too. I I wonder if former President Bush has some documents. Heck, I wonder if Jimmy Carter walked away. You know, when he left in 1980, whether he walked away with some documents. And of course, the truth is, we're we're never going to know. Maybe at some point in time, they're going to be in Plains, Georgia, cleaning out an attic, and you're going to find a whole bunch of top secret documents that Carter walked out with. We're never going to know, and that's I think as scary as anything. And maybe that's the big takeaway that we have to have moving forward. If you're going to dish out classified documents, even to people who are entitled to have them, you've got to make sure that you're getting them back at some point in time. That, I think, is one of the takeaways. Other takeaway is, as a practical matter, I don't think President Trump's going to get prosecuted. I don't think um, President Biden is going to get prosecuted. But I think everybody looks bad in this case. My favorite text of the day so far? Jeff. What's more scary than top-secret documents missing? It's Joe Biden behind the wheel of a Corvette. Ooh, feel feel the burn there. Somebody else said to me, I, Biden doesn't strike me necessarily as being a Corvette guy. Well, I, you know, you, you, just, you just never know. I can see him wheeling at high rates of speed through the streets of uh, the mean streets of Delaware. You just never know. All right, let's switch gears. There is... There is a fascinating trial that is going on now down down in Kenosha. I will tell you this up front. I, I mean, I don't. I have. I make no predictions as to how this is going to turn out or what happened, other than to say, it. It is a very very difficult, at least in my opinion, case for the prosecution. This is th- this trial of Mark Jensen. Mark Jensen is, I think, one of the more notorious, at least. At the one time, convicted killers in the history of the state of Wisconsin, at least over the last 30 or 40 years. The, this goes back December of 1998. Um, Julie Jensen, who was the wife of Mark Jensen, she dies. The prosecution's theory. Now, this happened in December of 1998. He was charged with her murder in 2003. So it took an, a number of years for them to bring the case Ultimately, the case went to trial in 2007. He was convicted, sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. He has now, is um, in a situation where that conviction was reversed. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So he, he's on trial again. It is always very difficult to go back, first of all, just in general, and try a case from 20 years ago simply because witnesses forget, witnesses die, it's tougher to do that. It's it's very, very difficult to go back and retry something under those circumstances. This case is even more interesting because... It was always a difficult prosecution. It was almost entirely circumstantial. There aren't witnesses. That The state's theory is that he poisoned her with antifreeze and then ultimately strangled her. The defense's theory is, look, they were estranged. She was despondent. She was suicidal, and she killed herself and did it in such a way to frame him to make it look like he was the, the guilty party. They don't have direct evidence by direct evidence I mean I, they don't have they don't have fingerprints of his on, on a pillow that was used to strangle her or things like that but they have pretty compelling circumstantial evidence in some respects they have him searching the internet looking for um, looking for you know <laughs> searching antifreeze and, and about poisons they've got you know x-rated email exchanges um, between you know him and and the woman that he was seeing. So you, you've got all this sort of stuff. They've got statements from a jailhouse snitch whose credibility I think was somewhat suspect that Jensen made incriminating remarks about the murder behind bars. They've got testimony, and you heard some of that, that apparently was presented from one of the neighbors who thought his, his reactions were real bizarre the day after his wife is found dead. He's like high-fiving people. Stuff, stuff like that. It's just Just bizarre sort of stuff. But that's that's that, that helps mount a circumstantial case, but still there's limits of this. The key pieces of evidence, I believe, that got him convicted when he went to trial in 2007 was the fact that she, before she passed away, had, had sent notes. Um, she'd given a neighbor a letter saying that if anything happens to her, Mark is the one that, that did it. She also made statements to the police and her son's teacher saying that she suspected her husband was trying to kill her. Part of her letter said, I pray I'm wrong and nothing happens, but I'm suspicious of Mark's suspicious behaviors, and I feel for my early demise. Th- this was very, very powerful. It's her making statements essentially from beyond the grave saying, look, this is, I think he's going to kill me. It was introduced in trial. And was a big factor, I think, in the jury saying, okay, this now fits in with all this other circumstantial evidence we have, and, and this is where the conviction comes from. Well, the Court of Appeals, and subsequently the State Supreme Court, said that those statements were inadmissible, that he had the right to, you have a right in the country's country to confront the witnesses against you, and those statements. That she made, the the letters and things like that, she since she couldn't testify in court because she was dead, um, they should not have been admitted against him. And ultimately the Court of Appeals and and the State Supreme Court ended up agreeing with her. Now, you, you can argue about legally whether that was the correct decision or not, and I think for a variety of reasons, without getting too deep in the weeds, it, it was. But the bigger problem now is you're going to trial. You don't have access to those statements. And so as a result of that, what's going to end up happening is the prosecution's going to try to Recreate evidence from 20 years ago, find witnesses, and I don't know what's happened to some of the, the people that he supposedly made statements to, rebuild a case, and rebuild it without one of the key pieces of evidence. Don't know how this is going to all turn out. He did not testify in his own defense at the last trial. Instead, relied on the presumption of reasonable doubt I think he will probably do that again. How this turns out, I don't know. But this is one where if anybody thinks it's a slam dunk for the prosecution, without the statements from beyond the grave of the the wife, Julie, it's, it's I think, very much a, a horse race as to whether or not the prosecution is going to be able to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And when I say this, please keep in mind, I, I don't take any position on whether the guy is guilty or or not. All I know is from a perspective of a prosecutor, when you're trying to recreate a case, a 20-year-old case, it's very, very difficult. And when you're trying to do it, now without what I think was one of the key and certainly the most incriminating pieces of evidence that you had at the first trial, it's, it's not an easy job. Uh, they say the case is supposed to last several weeks. I would, I would be surprised if it lasts as long as, as people think. But you know who knows it 's certainly something that again people are going to be watching, and if he is in fact acquitted now keep in mind he 's been he 's been in prison since his conviction in two thousand and seven, so he 's already served you know fifteen years but regardless of how this trial turns out and what the jury decides, my guess is there 's going to be a lot of people who aren 't going to be satisfied with the result when we come back after the top of the hour news. If you like them, you better act fast because they're going, going, and we will very soon be gone. I will explain. We will discuss.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. On on Monday's program, we talked about the incredibly brain-dead concept that was floated by Joe Biden's head of the US Consumer Product Safety Commission Richard Trumka, jr. Um, there is in this country right now there's a war going on against devices that are powered by natural gas uh, a number of well at least California in some communities has already made it illegal to build new construction with gas-powered furnaces or or gas water heaters, or things of the like, because you've got some of these eco-warriors that are out there, and they have decided natural gas, bad, contributes to you know the, our, our carbon footprint. Um, so the question becomes, all right, well, so you'd rather have somebody heat their home with electricity. Well, okay, where's... How is, is that going to be powered? How is that, baseboard heat, uh, base, is that baseboard heat going to be powered, et cetera? And for you know a lot of people, it's just not cost-efficient and, and practical to say, I don't know, get rid of your gas-powered furnace if you live in southeastern Wisconsin and you want heat during the course of the winter. But the eco-warriors are out to get natural gas. They've decided natural gas is bad and so we, we want to try to eliminate it. And because consumer preference won't get rid of it, we want to have government step in, and we want to have government tell you that you don't have it. So with that backdrop, you had, again, Richard Trumka, who's the head of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, who essentially said, we're going after gas stoves. And we talked about this on Monday, and he said, well, there's, there, there's two reasons we're going after gas stoves. First of all, we, we think that they might contribute to childhood asthma. And, of course... The easy answer to that is if, first of all, I'm not sure really how many people have been injured. A lot of people grew up with gas stoves and are just fine. But the answer to that is just increased ventilation, and that solves the whole problem. In my opinion, the real reason that they're doing this is because, again, it's the eco-warriors who don't like natural gas. And about 40% of the nation's homes cook with natural gas, and restaurants cook with natural gas, and the type of natural gas that they use now on stoves is different than say when your grandmother had the stove that had the pilot light that's on all the time so it's a completely different dynamic. The head of the Consumer Product Safety Commission though said hey we're 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 looking at everything up to and including banning the manufacture in the future of gas stoves well this Generated just an absolutely huge response, and now they're they're backing off. Like Biden is now, his spokespeople are saying, "Oh, we're not going after your gas stoves." Well, yeah, they they wanted to go after your gas stoves, except they recognize that the American public isn't there yet, and they recognize there's going to be a huge backlash. Something, however, that the Biden administration, aided by the former administrations of Barack Obama and George Bush, are doing. And they've successfully done this, is they're going after incandescent light bulbs. Going back to two thousand seven, when George Bush was the president, they passed they, they issued a series of regulations which essentially said the incandescent light bulb, as opposed to the LED light bulb, incandescent light bulbs, really, they go back to, I mean, Thomas Edison has a patent from 1880, but actually they were around before that. His was the first commercially viable one, but the incandescent light bulb, you know, it has that little filament in it, and it, you heat up that filament, and it provides it provides light, so that's how that ends up, you know, that's how that ends up happening. And you get that situation. And incandescent light bulbs really haven't changed over the course of the last, I mean, really since 1880. It's pretty much the same dynamic that's there. So here's where we stand now. Um, Donald Trump, when he was president, had put an end to this. He had said, I'm going to put this, this war on incandescent light bulbs on hold. Obama. Has lifted that hold. So at the end of this month, at the end of January, manufacturers will no longer be able to make incandescent light bulbs. So there won't, in the United States, there won't be any that will go to the stores. Merchants have until, I believe, July of this year to sell off any of their remaining stock. But after July, You will not be able to legally purchase an incandescent light bulb in the United States. And candidly, it might be before that because, you know, once they sell out their stock of stuff, they're not going to be able to restock. So literally, once they're gone, they're gone. And you will have to, by law, use LED bulbs. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, the argument that's made for this is that LED bulbs use less energy. They are cheaper. They have a better carbon footprint. And the answer to that is, yeah, sort of. I mean, there, there's no question about it. I mean, the, the the average household, they estimate, will save about $2 a year by using the, the LED bulbs versus the incandescent bulbs, it'll turn out to be about two billion two dollars. I'm sorry, two dollars a month on energy bills. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank Talk and Text line. I, I candidly don't mind LED bulbs. I, I like the fact that they last longer. But I will tell you this: I, I think they throw off I, the light is different. At least that's that's my take on this. The light you get is different. I've grown used to them, and I don't have a problem with using the LED bulbs. But isn't this a matter where it should be individual choice? And if you, they estimate right now that about 20% of the American public still uses incandescent bulbs. Should the government tell you that you can't? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. We discuss in a moment. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, look, I'm all for consumer choice, and... If you decide that you want to go with the LED bulbs as opposed to the old-fashioned, um, you know, um, the old-fashioned incandescent bulbs, I get it. I don't have a problem with that. They la- they're more expensive to buy, but they last a lot longer. So in the long run, you're, you're going to save money, and they have a little bit less carbon footprint, a little bit less. That, that's just the the reality of this. But the government is now saying you can no longer make that choice. And effective the end of this month manufacturers will no longer be able to manufacture the incandescent bulbs in the United States, and in July, retailers will no longer be able to sell them. So they're allowed to sell off whatever inventory they may have, and after that, it's all LED bulbs. I've made the switch, and and I don't... I, look, I, I don't mind. And actually, there's a lot of things about the LED bulbs that I personally prefer, except I don't think they throw off as much light. I, I just I, I don't. But I've learned to live with it. The bigger question, though, is should the government be telling you that you can't make that choice? I mean, we, we were, I think pretty clearly people have said, hey, you know, stay out of our kitchens. You know, we don't want you messing around with our gas stoves. All right, should we say, hey, stay out of our, our, of our lamps? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Joey in Delafield. Joey, or WTMJ.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, I went uh, pretty much LED with everything I have, but uh, my microwaves, I tried to get a bulb for that, and it's probably three-quarters inch in diameter and maybe two inches long. And I've been to all the big box stores. I've been to different, you know, Ace, True Value, everybody. They said it's not available on LED. So that's yeah. kind of, it'll be kind of interesting, something like that. And then my next problem is my in my living room, I have a really nice fan and it has a light in it and you can dim it up and down. I try to put an LED bulb in and my dimmer won't work with it. Yeah. And yeah. all the LEDs, you got, you need LED dimmers. So that's, if you really want them to work right. And. <laughs> So that's yeah. a whole other situation for a lot of people. I I went and spent you know kind of stupid money doing that, but to do it's because I wanted the I like the dimmers, but you yeah. the old dimmers they work somewhat, but not not perfectly. I mean maybe fifty percent is how they kind of work. It's really weird.
2: Yeah, no. Thanks for call, Joey. Now my my understanding is that if there are and and. I, I haven't researched the microwave oven light bulbs. My understanding is for the very, very small classification of light bulbs that, that 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 they can't make an LED bulb for, then they can still produce the incandescent ones and I don't know if that would apply to the microwave bulb or not but but you're right about <clears throat> you're right about the dimmers. you know some of them works, and some of them don't work with some of the objects that they end up having. Jeff, we live and an 1897 Victorian that we purchased many antique light fixtures for. They look ridiculous with LED bulbs, and I already have trouble finding incandescent bulbs because they stock less than they used to in stores, and people buy them up quickly. I don't think government needs to tell me how to light my home. Is there no respect for historical anything anymore? Let the people choose. I thought that was America. And I guess, see, that that's my point with this this topic. It's the fact that, you know, the government is telling you, you can no longer make this choice. I understand why for most people, it makes sense to switch to LED. I've like I say i, I I've done that in, in my own home. The bulbs last longer. I think I give up a little bit in the way that the light is, is thrown out, although they're getting better. And I'll, I'll be the first to concede that. But you know, what about that person that has, you know, the, the home that, that the LED bulbs really just don't don't work for um Jeff I changed out to LED 3 years ago I've saved on my electric bill Jeff I took out my LED LEDs they mess up my AM radio reception well we don't want to have that happening Jeff, many years of hard lobbying got this through. So the real question is who is winning financially and who is losing? And who do the winners support on the mean streets of Washington DC? No, this was a win for the Eco Warriors. That that that's what this is. The justification for this all along is that if you if you if you use incandescent bulbs, you, you must hate the planet. Um, and and there is a small a carbon footprint, but it's if you look at the numbers, it's it's a it's a it's a very comparatively small carbon footprint that we made eight five five six one six Jeff. What about three way lamps? You need three way bulbs. Um, Jeff, I think the bulbs actually, the LED bulbs actually look more vintage. Well, um, that's it. Um, Jeff, I said the same thing yesterday. We're no longer America, the home of the free. The government will decide what's best for us, and we will go along with it whether we like it or not. Jeff, they're already telling me I'll have to drive an electric vehicle eventually. It never ends. That is, by the way... (laughs) You know, a great example, you know, that's what you're seeing in Cal- what, it's California that says by, you know, uh, 2035, you're not going to be able to sell um, cars that are otherwise, that are anything other than electric, huh? Um, Jeff, I bought these from Amazon for outside lights, and no, this would be the, um, again, this would be the, uh, the LED bulbs, and no local hardware stores had them. I agree that I think the government needs to stay out of this. Jeff, I thought this and the gas stove issue was crazy until I saw that Congress was voting on eliminating the IRS. Um, there you go. Jeff, does this also include Christmas lights and night lights? Again, my understanding is the exception is. If, if they don't make LED bulbs that are comparable, then, then they will continue to have the incandescent. But that's a very, very small number of those. Jeff, I also, <clears throat> um, uh, let's see, I've already made the change, and I like that they don't get hot, and I, I think that there's a good price, so I have no problem. And as I keep saying, I respect that. I respect that, but... The, the bottom line of this is I think it's an individual choice that you get to make. And so far, about 20 percent of America still makes the choice that they want to stay with the um, stay with their incandescent bulbs. Um, Jeff, I'll be living in the dark when I can no longer purchase incandescent light bulbs because LEDs cause me to get migraines. I don't believe the government should tell us what we can and cannot do. Donald Trump was good for something, wasn't he? Well, okay, there you go. You've got that there. Jeff, this is a pet peeve of mine. I want to use the light bulbs that I want to use. So there you have it. Jeff, I pretty much buy LED light bulbs now, um, but I do have some of the incandescent left. Um, but there's just no question about that. So, okay, here, here's the bottom line of all this. If It's a battle that's already been, been lost and and now we're we're at the stage this has been a fight that's been kind of going on for 15 years but that battle is now over so the bottom line is if you are somebody who really 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 is dedicated to the incandescent bulbs what you do is you have you've got about another five or six months to be able to go out if you can find them. And already Amazon, my understanding, is pulling out, pulling back on some because some states like California are more aggressive than this as others. So if you're really, really, really dead set on using incandescent bulbs, what you need to do is you need to go out and you need to buy a bunch of incandescent bulbs. You need to start hoarding them because pretty soon you're not going to be able to get them or You can just switch to LED because that is the way of the world. They are from the government, and they're here to help us. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Let's move away from something that, you know, some decisions by government officials and boards and agencies are difficult. And then there's some that should be easy. And this is one that was easy in, in, in wall in Waukesha now in Madison or in other places it might be difficult the school district uh, of Waukesha the Board of Education voted unanimously yesterday eight to zero which would be unanimous to approve an amended version of their proposal titled parental rights and transparency this proposal touches upon gender identity pronouns transgender athletes and bathrooms. Under the proposal that they have adopted, district staff will not, I say not, be permitted to call minor students by names, nicknames, or pronouns other than commonly shortened or abbreviated full names or pronouns consistent with the student's biological sex without written permission from the parent. This, of course, is... You know, is in response to what some school districts have decided to do, and that is essentially lie to the parents. If you've got a, a child who is a biological boy but wants to identify as a girl, there are some school districts in the state who have thought that it's a good idea to allow them to do that, and then to to lie to the parents. Don't need we're going to say we don't need parents' permission to do this, and then when we have the parent teacher conferences, if you know Jack is Jennifer at school. We'll refer to him as Jack. We'll pretend that we're not doing this at school. It's just lying to the parents. Um... Um as far as bathrooms, the proposal says students will use shared bathrooms and locker room facilities according to their biological sex. Students who request exceptions for shared facility use shall have a plan on file with the school district that is determined by the superintendent to not to introduce an excess of risks to other students. Again, something that says, hey, we're going to look at this on on a case by case basis. But a 16 a year old biological male isn't automatically going to be allowed to go in and shower in the girls locker room and i think that that's a reasonable sort of position as well and the waukesha school board also recognizes that at the end of the day our job is to teach and the parents job is is to parents is to parent and I mean, again, it just, it's refreshing to see some of this common sense that is there. As I've said repeatedly when we talk about these topics, I don't – if if you've got a child and that, that child, biological male, for example, identifies as a female, I, it's fine with me as long as the parents sign off on it. If that's something that the parents in conjunction with school psychologists or personal psychologists decide is the appropriate thing, I'm cool with that. But you can't do it behind the backs of the parents, as some school districts are at least apparently trying to do. Waukesha unanimously sides with the parents, and I side with Waukesha. We're back. Here's the latest story that people are, are outraged about, and it's it's one of these it's one of these examples of. How you get, once you get legislation and you get things through uh, under the guise of, hey, there's an emergency or something, how, how impossible it is to make it go away. Now, back in 2020, at the height of the pandemic, we had an emergency federal program, right? There, were, there was all these different federal programs that were implemented. We we had the, all right, we're, we're going to have the stimulus that we're going to, you know, distribute to people. And we're not going to make assessments as to whether people need the money or they've been affected by COVID. We're just going to give Lots of people all, all this money, and then we're going to give them more money and we're going to give them more money, and we're going to put all these requirements on. We're going to say that you don't have to pay utility bills, and we're going to say that you don't have to um, you don't have to go to work, we're going to extend unemployment benefits. It, it goes on and on. And at some point in time, these programs end. That, that's just the reality of this. But when they end, there's all this angst. Well, well, here's the deal. Three years ago, um, food share holders, so if you were on on food stamps, you know, but where they call it food share now, they, the federal government, created an emergency program because of the pandemic. And it increased the amount of money that people who were enrolled in food share could receive and pretty much everybody who was enrolled in food share got got an extra $95 and some people got more now that that program has been going on since 2020 well here we are it's january of 2023 and let's face it the pandemic is over I mean, that is that is the reality that the pandemic has ended. You know, Joe Biden is arguing in front of the Supreme Court that um, these Trump-era ways of trying to, like, send people back without allowing them to stay in the country for hearings on, on immigration, that that uh, Joe Biden is arguing, hey, the reason we did this was because we had the pandemic, we had this health emergency, but it, it's over, so I shouldn't have to follow that anymore. Well, Well, here's the deal. Food share... Uh, and these bonuses have been going on for three years, they are now due to end, and they're going to end in February, which means that the amount of money that people are getting is going to revert to what it was pre-pandemic adjusted for inflation. Okay, and and I'm reading these stories about all these people who are just, you know, outraged outraged about this, and, you know, many, you know, families are going to have to go back to smaller benefits and things of the like, and, And look, I, I understand, I guess, that nobody likes to get less money. But at the same time, when you implement these policies and the justification is it's an emergency, we've got to do something temporarily because we've got an immediate hardship that's here. Well, at that point in time, those emergencies don't go on forever. Now, if you want to make the argument that we need to spend a lot more money and we need to increase the amount of benefits that people on food share get, okay, that's an argument that you can have. But to say that, oh, this is terrible, that in February of 2023, long after the justification for the emergency payments has ended, that we have to pretend and continue there's an emergency. That That's what's wrong. If we want to address this on the merit and say we should up the amount of money that people on food share get, Okay, let's have that conversation, but let's not say, well, people have been getting this extra money because there's an emergency, so that means they need to continue to get the money forever. That's how these government entitlement programs start, and it's how they grow. They're put in on a temporary basis, and then we're told we we can't do this anymore, and this is the latest example of it. All right, TMJ4 had a very, very interesting story the other night. We talk on this program regularly about reckless driving, and whenever I ask for a show of hands, you know, people who've seen somebody drive recklessly in the last two days, everybody's hand go up. It's just the thing. We had that story we talked about, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, about the horrible situation where the the young woman, 23-year-old woman, does the Milwaukee slide, which is where you pull into the parking lane, the bike lane, you pass somebody on the right, at a high rate of speed, she's driving. There's four other people in the car. She loses control, slams into a fire hydrant, slams into a pole. You know, she's dead. But that happens with all too much frequency. So the, the police, I think, are to their credit, very, very sensitive about this reckless driving. And I think, you know, at least according to the Milwaukee Police Association, the officers are cracking down on the issue, and I'm looking at the number of citations that were issued um, over the last several months. Um, December of last year, December of 22, they issued 68 reckless driving citations. Now, this isn't the point I want to make, but they issued 68. My guess is 68 is a Friday night, if you want to really look at what the the reckless driving things were. But they issued 68 citations in December. November they issued 55. October 59. And that's up. In September it was 40. In August it was 40. In July it was 36. So the point is they're issuing more of these citations. And the police union president said it's just this push of enough's enough. Reckless driving has come to the brink in Milwaukee. We've had too many deaths. So they're, they're trying to be more aggressive in their enforcement. And, and I, have, I have no problem with that. Like I say, though, I, I'm shocked that 68 for the month of December, that's a major upsweep in enforcement because there, there's a lot more reckless driving than 68. But here's, here's where I, I think it becomes interesting. All they can do right now, is they can essentially issue citations. Um, In Milwaukee, if you get a citation for reckless driving, it comes with a fine of $313 and six demerit points on your driving record. If you were to get two reckless driving citations in a year, your driving privileges would be suspended. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. $313 fine, six points on your license. Get two of them. Your license is suspended. Does anybody really care about that? I mean, the the people that are, are doing the Milwaukee slide, the people that are driving through, the, the, the blowing the red lights at 90 miles an hour, my guess is the vast majority of those people, first of all, have no intention of paying the $313 fine. You can get that fine. They're going to crumple up the ticket. They're going to throw it in the back seat of the car, which may or may not belong to them. It's probably stolen, and they have no intention of of paying that. Six demerit points on your driving record, okay, well, that might be a big deal to you, might be a big deal to me because i don 't know you know we we pay attention, we care about our driver 's licenses, we care about our insurance costs, we have insurance and things like that. My guess is most of the people that are blowing through the red lights, again, engaging in that reckless driving thing, if they have a driver's license, if they've ever had a driver's license, they really don't care if their driver's license is going to be suspended because the truth is they're going to continue to drive anyways. So I am not against the police cracking down on on reckless driving. I, I'm not. But as I've argued before, I think just saying six points and a $300 fine it is pretty much useless because that's not going to be a deterrent to most people. I'm glad we're giving reckless driving tickets, but is that really any sort of penalty that's going to make a difference? and make it better? And my answer is, I don't think so. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, really, a $300 fine that they're never going to pay and six points on a driver's license that they may or may not have, I I just don't see how that's a deterrent. We discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620, Jeff. I find it interesting that 1,800 Milwaukee police officers found 68 instances of reckless driving in 30 days. 1,800 officers. How many car thieves did they catch in 30 days? 5, 10? If you're looking for taxpayer money spent with little return? No, that's not it at all. I mean, I I think, I, I think part of the problem is, you know, reckless driving has been down on the list of enforcement in part because the penalties are ridiculous. The penalties are ridiculous. A $313 fine that the people who are engaged in reckless driving have no intention of paying, and there's really no way to get them to pay, and you're going to get six points on your driver's license. Well, like I say, I guess if you're running through a red light at 75 miles an hour – uh, my guess is not too many of the people have drivers licenses in the first place well it could make your insurance go up my guess is most of the people doing that driving don't have insurance on the vehicles i know you're supposed to but you know we're we're applying these rules which would be a deterrent to normal people to people who just don't give a rat's rump right 855 616 1620. Here's the deal. As I have said repeatedly, what you have to do is you have to increase the penalties for this. I was arguing earlier this week, you know, first reckless driving, fine. Second reckless driving, it is a crime. It's not a civil forfeiture. It's a crime that you can go to jail for. Why do we wait? For that chronic reckless driver to blow through the red light, hit and kill somebody before we decide that we're going to take it seriously. Jeff, motor vehicle laws only apply to responsible people. Most reckless drivers don't care. In fact, many don't have driver's licenses. You're right. Fines are not a deterrent. I'd love to know how many millions of dollars on the books in delinquent fines that I would add are never going to be paid. Dave in Illinois. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon
1: yeah good afternoon um i'm a salesman i'm up here two three days a week in the milwaukee area and i i see reckless drivers all the time and i've basically given up calling the cops dialing 911 whatever you want to call it uh because if if you're especially if you're on the highway once you once you get the cops the 911 operator as soon as they figure out where you're at then they just start transferring you between you know, the state police, if you're on the highway and you're in a different town and in a way they're like, well, we got to transfer you to that town. It's it's flipping maddening. You know, it's yeah. like that's their yeah. job, not my job. You know, I'll tell you what the car is, I give them a description, license plate, all that. And it's like, then I got to do it three or four times. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. don't even call anymore. So it's, yeah, no. A, it's a No, it's frustrating. System.
2: You know. Yeah. Thanks for no. Thanks for the call, Dave. I, I and I get it. Look, and I and I mean, I, I understand. It's like if you call nine one one, you say, "Okay, I was driving down. I don't know. I was driving down Hampton Avenue, and this is where I am. I'm at sixtieth at Hampton, and a car just passed me, went through a red light at ninety miles an hour, um, almost hit a couple pedestrians. <clears throat> this is. I didn't get the license plate. But this is the description of the car, it's a you know, two thousand seventeen Kia, it doesn't have a license plate, it's got tinted windows, but it's driving like a bat out of you know where. I, I I don't know that you can do much more than that. And that's it's one of the reasons why you need more police out on the streets. That that's the bottom line. I also think what you need to do is you need to increase the consequences for them. Jeff, nothing's going to make a difference in what is going on in the city until people start going to jail or prison for what they do. Fines and points don't mean anything to someone who will never have a driver's license, and they either don't have any money or they will never pay the fine. So there's no repercussions for their behavior. And and that's This would be, I think this is one of the challenges for the new legislature, is take a hard look at this. And like I say, I think the the answer is just like we do with drunken driving. First offense, drunk driving is uh, essentially it's an ordinance violation. It's a civil forfeiture. But second offense, drunk driving and more, those are crimes. And people can go to jail for them. I would treat reckless driving the same way. If you want, Because, look, I, I appreciate that there, there's always that occasion where, you know, the people, you know, make the mistake. I'm going to try to get through that yellow light, and it's turned red. I, I think, you know, you, you want to maybe give somebody one kick at the cat. And, and you can define, you know, reckless driving however you want. But, all right, you give the fine. Maybe you say, okay, six points and the $300 fine, that's okay for the first offense. But after the first offense— At that point in time, it's time to say we're going to be serious about this. And, you know, if we find out that you are one of these chronic, reckless drivers, we're not going to wait until you hit and kill somebody before we get you off the street. And I'm willing to bet, and this is my comment to my friends in the legislature and the Republicans who control both houses, I'm willing to bet that this is something that 95% of your constituents would support. And if the governor decides that, that he wants to veto this, Okay, then the governor can justify why he's vetoed this. And next time somebody dies after you've got a multiple reckless driver who hits and kills somebody, you know, that can be on the head of whoever would veto this legislation. But let's get the bad drivers off the street. Let's get the reckless drivers off the street and let's make it a little bit safer for all the rest of us. Uh, Speaking of the police, real interesting story on Fox 6, the police union president uh, put out an open letter to citizens citing Milwaukee police's morale as being abysmal, noticing that burnout is real. The president said, hey, we need the president of the police association. His name is um, um, Andrew Wagner, said we need We need you to help us so we can better help you. And he's talking about this incident that happened last Friday. Police officers were shot at during a chase. The driver of a car stolen out of West Bend sped away from officers near Sherman Park. Officers tried to stop the reckless driver who didn't pull over. That's when the chase started. Shots were fired near 100th and Capitol during the pursuit. Uh, The pursuit was ultimately terminated by a supervisor here. But, you know, this this is what the cops put up with on a regular basis and between the defund the police crowd and between the let's not hold people accountable crowd and between the there's violent dangerous people out on the street who are willing to take off and run from cops and shoot at cops and do whatever it's it's really a situation where you kind of say who wants to be a police officer nowadays so I mean I certainly understand when you say that uh, morale is, is abysmal, I, I get it. I, I absolutely get it. You've got this frustration that's out there, and I think it's really time for a lot of people to take a step back and say, look, what, what can we do to support the police who are out there protecting and serving us in an environment that, well, it's, it's, it's bad to say the least? All right, when we come back in the next hour of the program, uh, it's, it's a great restaurant it's moving east. Will it succeed? We're going to talk about that. The seventy shows, that seventy show is back. At least it's being rebooted. We discussed that. People are giving up their pets. All sorts of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. Live from
1: the Annex
2: Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Let's uh let's lighten it up at least a little bit for this segment. We've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff over the course of the last couple days. There depending on what part of the country you are in, you can get into heated discussions about what what type of fast food is is the best. I was um I was at dinner last night, and I was with uh, a guy f- who used to be from Milwaukee, but now he's he's relocated to Minnesota or something, and they they I don't think they have Chick Fil A's there, I, at least not where. And he was saying, you know, I, I, last time I was back there, I drove by one of these Chick Fil A restaurants, and there there was just there, the lines were were out through the parking lot and coming out onto the street. And I said, yeah, that's that's the way the Chick Fil A is. And, you know, once Chick-fil-A hit Milwaukee a few years back, it's been incredibly popular and they've expanded and started out with the one restaurant that they had, I believe, out in, in Brookfield on Capitol Drive. And, and now the, the latest one, I think, is in Glendale on Port Washington Road, kind of by where I grew up. And it's incredibly popular. And I, I, I mean, I think they do, I think they do a good job. But am, am I going to sit in a drive through line for 15 or 20 minutes to get a chicken sandwich? No, that's just, I, I, that's just not me. I'm not going to end up doing it. But obviously people do, and, and people love it. Well, again, if you want to talk about fast food, there is, there is a, a, a fast food brand that if you are from the West Coast— it's kind of like the Holy grail of fast food and people who, for example, lived in Los Angeles and have now been transplanted East of the Mississippi. One of the things that they'll say is I really miss in and out burger in and out burger. I mean, it started in Los Angeles and, and you can find them throughout the West coast. If you've been to Las Vegas, you've, you've had, they have an in and out burger, you know, there. Um, if you've been to, you know, Arizona, They have them there. in and out Burgers, you can find them in Texas. But by and large, you cannot find them east of the Mississippi River. It's kind of like the old movie Smokey and the Bandit. Remember, the whole premise of Smokey and the Bandit was this was back in the days where where Coors Beer was sort of the holy grail. And they didn't sell Coors Beer east of the Mississippi River. So the whole premise of the movie Smokey and the Bandit was what we're going to do is, you know, you've got X number of hours to drive from here Go, you know, pick up cases of Coors beer, you know, and bring it back. That was the whole premise. That was the MacGuffin, the thing that got the chase going. It was like Coors beer. Well, now you can find Coors beer pretty much anywhere. In and Out Burgers are pretty much limited to the, the West Coast and a handful of other places. The, the The story, and this was one of the lead stories in a couple of the newscasts today, whether it was the Today Show or Good Morning America, is that In and Out. Burger, which has been founded in Los Angeles um, 75 years ago, they've now announced that they are, they're going to start um, selling burgers east of the Mississippi. They're coming to Nashville and they're going to start, they're going to open up uh, a headquarters in Nashville and they plan to open several Nashville locations by 2026. And this this has set Nashville a buzz. Forget about country music and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, at some of the stuff. Oh, we're getting an In-N-Out Burger here in Nashville. There goes my summer bod. Um, my state is finally getting an In-N-Out Burger. This is just great. And then you have a couple people who are, are familiar with like the In-N-Out Burgers, but they're in California. Are worried oh this is going to be um, this is going to be the end of this. I mean this should be an exclusively uh, a west coast sort of thing, and we don 't we don 't want to see them coming out there, but people are generally excited and they 're really passionate about in and out burgers now if you 've never been to an in and out burger you know you don 't necessarily have that that passion and it 's tough to know about this but I do think it 's interesting that people are so passionate about a particular type of fast food. And I thought it would be a little bit of fun on a Thursday afternoon. Our number 855-616-1620, which is the old national bank talk and text line. Is there a particular brand of fast food that you are absolutely addicted to that you are passionate about? And I'm telling you, you know, people that people that love White Castles love White Castles, people that love in and out burgers, love in and out burgers. Is there a fast food that just completely and totally trips your trigger that you are addicted to? If it's one of those situations where you're you're in a state, maybe it's something you, you grew up with, and you're in a state where you can't get it, you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, man, I just really have a taste for blank. The fast food chain that you are evict- addicted to, what is your in and out burger 855-616-1620 that's the old national bank talk and text line we discuss in just a moment 855-616-1620 which is the old national bank talk and text line much buzz in and out burger which is largely confined it's a it's a restaurant chain restaurant it's a fast food chain goes back 75 years it's 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 big, really, really big on the West Coast. Now you can find them in some other locations as well. They they but the big announcement today is they're moving east of the Mississippi. They're going to open up um, an office and restaurants in Nashville. And this now looks like they're planning an expansion. Now, I can't tell you the next. I can't tell you if they're coming to Milwaukee or not. But the people who are familiar with In and Out Burger, they are passionate about this. And my question to you is Is there a fast food that you're passionate about? Here's a text, Jeff. I don't really eat fast food, but when I do, it's in and out burger, double, double animal style. Animal style is they, they grill, they, um, they spray mustard on the patties. So it's, they, as they're grilling them, they, they put mustard on them and then they serve them with like all sorts of other stuff on it. Let's start with Joe in Greenfield. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
0: Yeah, hi, Jeff. I'm actually calling on behalf of my wife because uh, she (laughs) raves and really raves about Whataburger. Uh, She has family in Texas, and she goes, that's our first priority. When we get down there, we all eat at Whataburger, and she's had an In-N-Out burger. She says they're fantastic, but this is one step above, in her opinion. And uh, I hope, I would love to see that chain open
2: here. Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, I, I've absolutely. I have been to you know, thanks for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. I have been to, I have been to Whataburger. Whataburger is um, again, it's a regional one. There's there's several hundred, but it it started in, it started in San Antonio, and um, yeah, it, it's it's based in San Antonio, I think, and it started kind of in that area. Um, there, there's it, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. I think there, I think there might be some throughout some of the rest of the South, but it's, it's basically a Texas sort of chain. And you're, and, and again, they're just like Chick-fil-A does chicken. Um, what a burger and, and just like In-N-Out Burger, they, they do burgers. And, you know, if, if you're going in there and you're asking for, I don't know, you know, I, I want something, I, I want this broad-based menu. No, that's not what they do. They, they do they do burgers, but they say they do them well. Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ.
1: Yes, I like Culver's, Jeff. Uh, they got a good mm-hmm. variety of burgers, and their fries are good. And uh, they built our, our new one out here now, and it's uh, opened up about, uh, I think it was opened in August or something, because we brought the yeah. other one burnt down. But also, I would like to see a Chick-fil-A out here. I love that, too, but we
2: haven't got one. <laughs> yeah. No, right now. Hey, thanks for the call, Tom. You know, it's funny that you should mention Culver. As a matter of fact, the, I was telling the story of a couple people I had dinner with last night, and the guy from Minnesota was saying that he was visiting friends or his daughter or something, and they were... They were at Arizona State or whatever, and he said he was shocked to find that there was a Culver's, that there was a Culver's down there. I don't know if it was Tucson or Tempe or whatever. He said there there was a Culver's down there, and it was pretty much just like the Culver's you find up here. He said it was just, that was amazing because you think of it as a regional chain, and it is pretty much a regional chain. But Culver's, I would, I would argue, is another one of those places that just, that creates a huge amount of brand loyalty because they do what they do extremely, extremely well. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got uh, Dan in Hortonville. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Steak and shake.
1: Steak burgers, shoestring fries, hand dip shakes. The only problem is the closest one I could find was near Gurney Mills. It's now closed. Yeah. And I think, yeah, they-, they just they really had some problems and really dialed back.
2: But it's one of those places that every once in a while you wake up in the middle of the night and say, man, I, I could really use one of those steak sandwiches and, and, and I, I wish I could get them. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. No, thanks to call Dan. I appreciate it. That's, you know, that's, that is part of the problem, you know, and I think a, a lot of us take our, a lot of us take our passions of uh, one of our was saying like Barnaby's. So well, okay. I mean that Barnaby's, I, as a kid, I used to have told this story before. I mean, I used to hang out. There was a Barnaby's right by where I lived in Glendale on Port Washington Road, and you know, I, I there's like two Barnabys left open in the country. Both are in in northern Illinois, kind of around where the uh, the Arlington Horse Track used to be. And I can remember we would go there, my brother and I. We took my niece and my nephew, and we say, "Oh, you got to go to this Barnabys." And it was a Barnabys right out of the 1970s, but it wasn't like I remembered. Um <laughs> It wasn't like I remembered. Jeff, locally, it's George Webb's Burgers with onions and chocolate milk to drink. Let's talk to um, Dave in Waterford. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm good. What's the uh, okay? That the fast food, that chain restaurant that you just that you know you're just addicted to. Uh,
1: it's called Skyline Chili, and it's mm-hmm. in the Cincinnati, Indianapolis areas, Louisville. Um, right. It's basically chili with noodles, Cincinnati style, which has a little sweet cinnamon flavor. But you can get it with onions, um, with beans, with without, and they put a they put about a pound of shri- uh, cheddar cheese on top of it. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I know. Um, hey, Dave. Thanks for the call. I know what you are talking about. Now you got to understand that that for people who grew up around here, um, when you when you talk about chili, like I am a guy that grew, I went to Marquette law school and stuff, and I am I am like a real chili guy. But I, I understand that for people who love sky, who love chili Skyline Chili based out of Cincinnati certainly um, draws a lot. Let me see. We're getting swamped with text. Jeff, Suburbia, by far the greatest sub you will ever have in your life. I don't even know if they, I, Suburbia used to be big when I was a kid. And I definitely love that. Jeff, for me, it's, um, let's see, um Dog and Suds. Root Beer Stands with Charcoal uh, Cheeseburgers. Regional, but closest one, if it's still open, is in northern Illinois. Um, Jeff, I'm not a fast foodie, but we go to Florida for two months and crave Barbaries on Blue Mountain Lasagna. Barbaries on Blue Mountain. We, we go to Florida for months. When we're gone, we crave Barbaries on Blue Mountain for their lasagna and their garlic bread. Funny how that sort of uh, stuff works. Uh, Mike says... Steak and shake is open on Blue Mound Road across from the corners outdoor mall. See, okay, we're here or there. Jeff, wish there was a Bojangles here. Absolutely great chicken. Number of people are saying um if you're talking about like fast food, you've got to talk about portillos, beef, and their shakes. Number of people locally are putting in a plug for George Webb burgers. Um a lot of people Love that as well. Jeff, I like Wendy's if available to get to. Otherwise, I would welcome an In and Out burger in our area. Um, no question about it. Uh, I would love to see a Hattie B. Nashville. Um, huh. So good. Not familiar with that. Jeff, I loved, um, Jack in the Box. Number of people, cops, White Castle, you know, I still, I, I admit, I get cravings for White Castle from time to time. You know, no question about that. Um, let's see. Um, somebody say, I don't get this thing about, uh, I don't get the thing about Chick Fil A. Well, you either get it or you don't. There's just no question about it. I appreciate that. A number of people are recommending Suburbia as well, and that's they, those used to be. You could find them all over. Um, now, not as many. I love Jeff Kentucky Fried Chicken. All right. Well, you got the KFC. They're tougher to find. Um, Bojangles' sweet potato pies. Okay, there you go. You've got that there. Um, just like your last caller, I love steak and shake. With that said, at Marquette basketball games, you get a free shake if the opponent misses two free throws in a row. Yeah, that's right. It's it's good only at the one downtown Milwaukee, but that's not far from our. Um, that's not far from our Avenue Studios. So bottom line is, if I made you hungry, that's what I was trying to do. <clears throat> it, it's just, it is it is amazing the passion that's here. So I, I don't know that In-N-Out Burger is coming close to Milwaukee at any point in time, but if you happen to be in Nashville, or you happen to be on LA, or you're in Las Vegas, and you're in the mood for that fast food fix, I'm telling you, in and out Burger, at least you can say you've been there, and then you can uh, get into an argument with people. If you say, I didn't think it was that special, my guess is that you'll like it. Okay, we need to set the record straight. There is Steak and Shake, and there is Shake Shack. The Shake Shack is the place where if the opponent misses two free throws at the Marquette game, that's the one that's downtown. You, you get the, the free small milkshake. And then there is Steak and Shake, which is, again, the national sort of chain that's out there that uh, people were talking about with incredible fondness. It, it's fine. I'm just going through our messages, and it's uh, Dog and Suds. Remember Dog and Suds? that um in the 70s that was big it was a, it was like a hot dog and root beer drive-in chain over 650 restaurants across 38 states um it kind of kind of ran its course because it's still around but the most recent information i can find is um it's about 15 locations across the country down from down from 650 but again it's it's got a little bit of that cachet that's going on there so dog and suds that's a name from the past as well. People have their just trust me, you look at our um you look at our uh, text line you can see people have their passions. Number of people um again whataburger out of Texas. Uh, I grew up in Texas, was hooked on Whataburger. Definitely one of the best burgers that you have. They also have Taco Cabanas which blows Taco Bell out of the water. Alright, so that's it. If you're in Texas, check out um what a You know no no doubt about that at all. It's just, that's one of the fun things. That fast food just inspires that kind of passion, whether it's In-N-Out Burger, Culver's, or whatever else. And no to one of our texters, <clears throat> there is not an In-N-Out Burger in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. That's an out and out Burger in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. In-N-Out is not east of the Mississippi as of yet. When we come back, all right, it's nostalgic. Will it be a success? Stick around. Again, keeping our theme of, of somewhat lighter topics, because we've been really dealing with a lot of heavy stuff, I think, for a lot of this week and certainly in the first couple hours of the program. There's, this is, in many respects, it's the golden age of television, because instead of just like three networks or four networks that have programming at, at night, You have all these different, like, cable networks, and then you have all these different streaming services. And in an effort to to get eyeballs, they're all out there, and they're all coming out with with new content and and different shows. I mean, I would argue that there's just more shows than you can possibly watch. And and that's why if you're trying to say, okay, well, there's this show I've heard about, it's on Hulu, or it's on Peacock, or it's on HBO Max, or it's streaming on Netflix – There's just so many of those that it's tough to figure out, you know, what you want to watch. One of the things in an effort to try to attract eyeballs is you have a number of these streaming services or networks who are who are thinking about nostalgia. And it's like, okay, well, rather than having to convince everybody to watch this new show, ABC, let's let's recycle a show that people might relate to you know this was done a couple of years ago with the wonder years right you know that was that great show that a lot of us you know grew up in and the idea was okay let's reboot the wonder years and you know we'll change it a little bit i think um in, in the case of the rebooted one they they viewed it, it was the same kind of storylines but they viewed it from the perspective of of a of a black family instead of a white family so it was the, the same kind of concept, and they hope to get people in saying, hey, if they like The Wonder Years, when The Wonder Years, you know, first aired a number of years ago, let's bring it back. They're doing that again with the show that has, well, quasi-Wisconsin ties. Now, I admit that when it was first on, I loved that 70s show. Now, that 70s show, it, it debuted in August of 1998, it ran for eight seasons, although a lot of the cast members left for the last year or two. But it, but it ran from like 1998 till 2006. So, and if you remember that 70s show, it was, it started out with with six, like teenagers who were like high school classmates, and they would hang out in the, in the basement of one of the kids' houses. And it was set in point Place, Wisconsin, and there's always been some argument about where point Place was. there's a story in the local newspaper today that suggests that something I'm going to tell you about in just a minute now it now gives hints that that might have been like Kenosha or something like that but people people you know disagree. One of the actors was here campaigning for a Democrat politician a, a while back, and he said that you know it was set in Fond du Lac, but it, it was set in wisconsin there there's somewhere in southeastern wisconsin there was lots of references to the packers games and stuff but i admit i was i was a fan of the the, the original show now like so many shows i think it kind of runs out of gas for a while and and when when you have a show that's set with high school kids unless it's a cartoon an animated show like south park or the simpsons simpsons the show has to evolve because The kids get older, you know, the the actors grow up. And so you can't keep them in high school forever when they're 30 years old, at least, you know, at least having the actors portray characters. So you have to have them evolve and things like that. But I I thought I thought the 70s show, especially the first couple years, was really, really good. I bring this up because if you haven't heard, they are rebooting the 70s show. It's not going to be on broadcast television, but it's going to be on Netflix January 19th so next week Netflix will will drop a show called that 90s show which is a direct i mean a direct sequel to that 70s show apparently um the mother and father uh kitty and red those characters they're they're now grandparents and the kids are going to be essentially children of the characters that were in the 70s show and some of their friends. And it's going to be like the same sort of thing. They're going to be hanging out in the basement and and all of that. And it's going to be set in the same place. And there's going to be apparently lots of references to the Green Bay Packers of the 1990s. The original 70s show was set from like 76 to 79, and then it kind of came to an end when the decade ended. This one's going to be set in the mid-1990s, and Netflix is hopeful that this is going to be able to capture this nostalgia and that people that like that show are going to want to come back and they're going to want to watch it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, here's my question. Are you jazzed to see a, a remake I guess that's a specific question, of that, that 70s show or or a sequel. I guess it's not really a remake. It's the sequel to that, picking up with a lot of the same characters. And my understanding is some of the performers who were in the original one, I mean, they're, they're going to bring them back, and they're going to be reprising their roles, maybe not full-time, but at least part-time. So is something like that, is this nostalgia that's out there, is that, is that going to carry the day? Are you excited that they're bringing a show like that back, Would you like to see other shows brought back? And would you prefer those shows, sequels, reboots, whatever, to all the new shows that are out there as you try to figure out, gee, do I want to watch this or not? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, I'm – generally speaking, when I see these reboots of TV shows – I am they're never the same. They I mean I remember I was a big fan of W uh KRP in Cincinnati when when that was on and then they brought it back several years later and it had a couple of the original cast members and I thought, "Yeah, it's just really not very good." and the the response was, I mean, it was off the air pretty quick, because I think most people agreed with me. I'm kind of jazzed about that ninety show, and I think there's a number of other shows that I would be jazzed at seeing as well. eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old national bank talk and text line. How about you? We talk about it in just a moment. eight five five six one six one six twenty that's the old national Bank talk and text line that is of course the theme show to that 70s show if you're just tuning in they're they're doing a sequel not a reboot but uh, but a, a sequel to that show it drops on Netflix next week it's called that 90s show and it's going to feature that the premise is that the two parents red and Kitty um, they are they're now grandparents and they're they're it, there's a bunch of kids that still hang out in, in the basement, but these are their grandchildren, the kids of some of the people who were in the original show, some of the characters. And, and I think it's going to be similar in a respect. It's clearly trying to capture nostalgia. I actually, I, I will tell you, while I'm generally reluctant to watch these shows, I, I'm intrigued to see that one, where that one go because I, I liked it a lot. Jeff Cheers would be great to bring back as long as most of the characters are back. They have Night Court coming back already, and Frasier. There's rumors about Frasier. Kelsey Grammer says he'd be open to doing it, but I don't think there's any plans right now. Uh, Jeff, I'm not jazzed. I think it's going to be bad. They tried to reboot it as the 80s show, and that was very bad. Uh, the only show I could think of that would work well as a reboot would be a Hill Street Blues. Unfortunately, a lot of the characters in Hill Street Blues have are passed away as well. Jeff, I love the first run, and can't wait to see that 90s show especially being born and raised in Wisconsin. Jeff, I'm willing to give it a shot. We watched Fuller House, and we loved it. Jeff, I see they are redoing Night Court. I'm interested to see how it turns out. I love that show. I never, I, th- that's right. They are bringing back Night Court. I think that's on, uh, I think that's going to be on NBC. I, I don't, I think that's on a broadcast thing. Could be wrong about that as opposed to Netflix. Jeff, I might give it a look, but unfortunately, when they bring something back, often it's not as good as it was originally. It's really hard to accept a new version, especially if the old version was really, really good. And, and I, I agree with that. Like I said, the, the best example to me is, um, best example to me is, uh, the, uh, well, at least a good example, like I was saying, was WKRP, where I love WKRP. And my guess is that anybody my age, or, or certainly older, or maybe a little bit younger, everybody you know, who goes into radio loved you know WKRP in Cincinnati. Let's talk to Brad in Madison. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Hi. That 70s read... show was horrible. <laughs> you didn't like the Why 70s show? Nobody
0: ever put that? No, it, was, it wasn't anything like the 70s, and it was horrible. The acting was
2: horrible. Everybody in it was horrible. It's no oh, happy days. Oh, oh, Brad. Thanks I'm telling you that that's that's fighting words. No, see, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to necessarily be a judge of of acting, but, but I thought. I mean, I, I kind of like the story. I love the fact that it was set in, somewhere in southeastern Wisconsin. No, I, I, I kind of, I kind of liked it. You said everybody in there was horrible. I mean, Laura Propon, who played Donna. I mean, my gosh. All of us who were children of the '70s, all of us, you know, wish that we had, you know, a, a girlfriend like like Donna. That was just the case. Um, let's see, eight five five six one six one six twenty. I really watch. Uh, I really want to watch. I like the new shows. For example, I really want to watch Wednesday, which is starting its second season on Netflix. Yeah, Wednesday refers to. Um, Wednesday Adams, you know remember the the little girl from the the Adams family well, now she's a little bit more grown up, and I know that one's a very popular one. Jeff, most reboots aren't that good, no matter what the character uh category. I wasn't impressed with the 70s shows in the first place um but uh then you know even as I was someone who grew up then I thought it was lame. Jeff, who the heck hates that 70s show jeez louise um. I agree. <laughs> I agree, but that's okay. That's People won't watch it. Um, Jeff, I don't think that uh, Night Court's going to be the same without Marky Post. I'm not sure if she's... Uh, I, yeah, I haven't looked at the, the cast list. And I'm, is is Marky Post even still around? Jeff, do you think they could bring back a show like The A-Team? Well, some of these shows that were on were just... They were products of a, a particular time. I think it would be very, very difficult, for example, to, you know, restage the, the A-team, you know, with Mr. T and things like that and try to, you know, recreate it. I, I think that would be extremely difficult. But, you know, if they figure there's a – if they figure that there's a, a market for it, they'll do it. I think one of the things is that – um, one of the thi- – yeah, Marky Post passed away last year. That's what I thought. Um. One of the things is that if they think there's a market for this, I mean, it's one of the reasons why over the holidays on HBO they had the uh, the reboot, the sequel to the A Christmas Story. Um, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to watch that yet, and I don't know how well it particularly did. But it's, it's again, these things that are pre sold. So instead of having to convince somebody, hey, there's this new show out there, it's called Kaleidoscope, it's really good, and you go, Kaleidoscope, what, what is that? At least if it's a show that people have seen and has some recognition and maybe has some good feelings, except our one listener, Brad and Madison, who hated the, the, the 70s show, for those of us who liked it, it's at least enough to get us to give it a look. And, and that's, it's going to work because I have Netflix and once this. This thing drops. I I don't know that I'm going to necessarily watch all the shows, but I'm definitely going to give it a chance. I'm going to fire it up, and I'm going to see if I like it. Um, Grant in Wauwatosa. Grant, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Grant.
1: I don't know why, but lately I've been uh, getting into Hunter, all the episodes of Hunter. Uh, they're from the 80s detective show in California. Fred Dreyer, right. Right. Vice right. Hunter. Stephanie Kramer is his co uh, his fellow uh, detective. But anyway, I'd like to see they bring that back with Aaron Rodgers. He's tall, <laughs> good looking, and lanky, just like Fred Dreyer. And uh, he's got a good personality. I think it would be good, but i got to come up with somebody to play Stephanie Kramer's role.
2: Well, uh, thanks for the call. Maybe, you know, you you, you never know. Aaron Rodgers knows the actresses and stuff. I mean, he could probably, he could probably help find somebody. That would be an interesting career. Aaron Rodgers is an actor. Okay. Bottom line is nostalgia does sell. I will be curious to see how this works out. I'll be curious to see how Night Court works out. And if they are successes, you can expect more. Because if nothing else, that's why you have all the sequels to the Marvel movies. They're different. uh, If there's money to be made by recycling stuff, they will recycle it. You know what's going to be the big movie this year? There's another Indiana Jones movie coming out. Harrison Ford is 80 years old, and he's reprising his role as Indiana Jones. Go figure.